So, uh, welcome back to Civil Discourse. This is not a safe space. Not a safe space at all. How you doing, my friend? Oh, I've had better weeks, better months, but you know, I'm alive and kicking and that counts for something, right? It does. It does indeed. I uh, I will say I was running some errands earlier today and it's raining up here in southern, not so sunny southern New England and uh, people are moping about and this, that and the other. And I'll admit, the feeling that comes with this weather is not one of joy. No, um, it's not. It is gray weather for a gray mood. But, you know, we need the rain. Like, the rain is an important thing, and, and it, it's we, we can't really complain. Now, there are people out in California who have had enough rain, and uh, and I, they have all the rights to complain as far as I'm concerned. Um, Mother Nature, I think, uh, could use a scheduling book. Uh, well, we, we can only hope, but I think that's an age-old question. When is she going to get one? Uh, you know, and, and the old saying is, some go thirsty while others drown. Uh, well, and, in the case of Southern California, it's both, you know, for right, a right, portion right. of nine months, what, probably more like 11 months out of the year, they're, you have no drop of water at all. And then uh, they get a year's worth in under a month and people's homes are being washed down the street. Well, you, you guys had a drought this year as well, correct? It was serious, and that's you know part of my motivation for not complaining about the rain. But uh, there's a reservoir about five minutes south from our house, and in a normal quote unquote uh, setting, it's just stunning. It's be- you know it's pretty significant in size, beautiful islands and whatnot. And this whole year, um, the water—I'm not exactly sure which region it services because it is drinking water. Um, but I think we may be too far north for it to be Manhattan. Um, but I could be wrong about that. But either way, uh, the water is something like 30 feet down from its normal place. Mm, you could walk yeah, so, for, so from you the need it. The islands. And, and I drive by that, that, that area all the time when I come up your way. And, and we'll be heading up there again here very soon. And, and yes, it, it looks more like a swamp than a lake. And, yeah. uh, it, it's, uh, it is disturbing. And meanwhile, you know, we've had an overabundance of rain in this area. So, uh, again, some go thirsty while others drown. Uh, and now so- we, we will, this is an interesting question. Um, because we have these pipelines that are very controversial, but we'll take oil extracted from a, a far and distant place in the Arctic or Alaska, wherever, and we will build a pipeline to move that precious commodity down to the, the parts of the country that, that need it, that can actually refine it and, and so forth. I, if you actually ran the numbers, I wonder what the cost, the value in a, new, in a, in a numeric sense of water per gallon is relative to oil. And then if you do that, you start to wonder, why don't we find ways to collect some of the water that lands in these places that get flooded out and move it to parts of the country that actually need it. Is, is, is this some ridiculous idea that, that I'm, I'm, I, I think it's, it? it's, it's a part of the solution. I think there's some other things it's, it's, I, I know we're not going to talk about this subject today, but why not for a moment anyway? Uh, you know, I, it's it's a part of a solution. You know, there's also desalinization. Uh, we have a lot of coastline that's sitting near a big giant body of water that we can't use. Well, for that one I have an answer for. It's and expensive. It, yeah, it's well, expensive. they have not found a way to be able to 
uh, desalinize salt water, for anyone who doesn't know what that means, to extract the salt from ocean water to make it drinkable. Um, the, the cost of energy that it takes right. to actually do that is still more than the cost of, of the water itself or however they manage to, to do that. So at least I understand the reason there. And maybe that's the same reason why we haven't pursued pipelines for water from regions. I, I think it is a cost mm -hmm. issue. And, and from what I've read, and I've read a lot about water, believe it or not, <laughs> because I think it is going to be a, an incredibly valuable commodity in a in hundred years. Uh, oh, because I of this, that long. Uh, and, and of course, Canada is sitting on a, a gold mine of water. Uh, so uh, I, I think it will be. And part of the initial steps really have to be local rainwater harvesting. So, so while you mm -hmm. are going through drought, you have had some, some rain in the, in the last year, as had a lot of uh, areas out West as well. And a lot of our water comes off the roofs of our homes, goes down our driveway into the sewer uh, sitting in, in, in the roads, not, which is not to be mixed with the other kind of sewer. It's, it's storm sewer. And it, it goes and is shipped off to wherever and is never utilized. And, of course, for folks who live on uh, self-sustaining homesteads that don't have wells or can't get wells because they're sitting on top of bedrock, they do water harvesting. And uh, it, it is a very effective way, even in places that you wouldn't think it would be, like Arizona and New Mexico. It is a very effective way to provide drinking and bathing water for your home. Uh, of course, for the drinking part, you want to filter it, and, and there are ways you can do that. Uh, but well, yeah, it's, it's, if it's, you have uh, uh, not as is it asphalt uh, shingling? Right. Yeah. Asphalt. Um, yes. Obviously, that's not a good thing to be drinking directly out of. So there's a combination of filtering if you're going to collect it from a traditional roof or using different materials. And you're seeing more and more metal roofs uh, on homes and things right. like that. That won't necessarily. Well, so while while you were you were explaining that, just a point of interest, I was I looked up the average cost of a twenty ounce bottle of water that we drink that we buy mm -hmm. is a dollar fifty. So translating that to a gallon uh, is nine dollars and sixty cents per gallon of drinking water. That's significantly more expensive than we pay for the refined oil we put into our cars that we are willing to uh, pipe from far distances. I, I was thinking I actually pay a water bill because I have city water here. And that's probably, uh, while I agree that that's a number, uh, I'm thinking that. Well, there's course, a difference between what comes out of the tap and what we buy in bottled water. But a lot of people do only drink bottled water that they buy. So that cost variance, you know, depending on how, what your lifestyle and choices are is, is a calculation. Wow. And I, I think it's funny that if you had told me uh, 15 years ago or no, probably more like 30 years ago, that people would be paying for bottles of water. I would have laughed you out of the house. So uh, I pay my municipality for, for our water. And, and you know where my reservoir is. It's right by the interstate when you're coming into town. And, and I know mm. you've traveled that route quite often. I pay them about two cents a gallon for water um, as an end user. Mm. And so you're, you're going to have to break probably that probably three cent threshold on, on shipping water to make it, you know, valuable enough to pipeline it, which eventually we will have to do, particularly in areas like 
Las Vegas, who are really already, and California, Southern California, where they're really already leveraging water that's coming through pipes. Uh, it just starts out as the Colorado River. There so. was there was an article um, or a news story, excuse me, uh, on the TV a, a week ago or so. And I want to say it's in, was it in New Mexico or Arizona? I can't remember. But one of these desert communities that they're in, and not a poor one. I mean, big homes out here that in, in the suburb of Phoenix or something like that. And they are in a big way, uh, trouble in a big way because their only drinking water is literally trucked into the community. Mm-hmm. And the company that is doing that trucking, there was some combination of the, the an issue with the company doing the trucking vis-a-vis the cost of it and some new... Uh, uh, regulation or laws that were being passed at the state level um, that essentially they were that 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 transport of water was going to come to an end and so these people it, it was within I think now because I think that story I read it a little bit after it came out so they were saying the start of the year so those people right now are dealing with they, they don't have water anymore um it's, you know, it's, it's not a, a hundred years for some places and it's not just in the Sahara for some places it's, it's, it's a big deal. And I bring it up because it actually does pertain in, in part to, to what I wanted to talk about today, going back to a conversation we had a couple episodes ago about a sense of, uh, of responsibility to our communities. I, I, yeah. And I do, I do see the segue here. Before we <laughs> move on, though, before we yeah. move on, though, uh, we oftentimes legislate ourselves into silliness. And and if I remember correctly, and I just read a story, it has to do with them taking trucks off the road out west, where they're saying if a truck was made before two thousand nine or ten or whatever, it can no longer be on the roads. And of course, a lot of this stuff is delivered by independent truckers. And uh, that's a half a million dollar investment that they're pulling out from under these truckers. So they're moving east to where they can still operate. And I know uh, that that is an issue, especially in California. They have a bunch of new regulations. Um, yeah, I don't know what the New I Mexico is specifically. That was the issue here. This was something else to do with the the actual. Um, what's the word? Uh, how the the water resource was being oh okay because it was coming from the distant mountains there there are other things though you can in many of those western states you cannot harvest rainwater it's against the law because they needed to go into the streams and into the rivers for the wildlife and 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 i get that i do i'm not i'm not i would i would struggle with that because while the 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 thing that's trying to be Trying, trying to be protected, I, I certainly agree with. I find it hard to believe that the amount of water that lands Agreed. on the roof Agreed. is Agreed. significant Agreed. enough to to starve out a fish uh, supply. I'm much more certain the hardscape that we put everywhere we go as a human race is yeah. hurting the fish and the wildlife yeah. more. And, uh, and uh, <laughs> parking lots and, and so forth. Well, the other thing is we build places for people to live in. And, and it's a sign of our absolute wealth as a, as a, as a society. Uh, we build places now to live in, in places where for hundreds of years, nobody lived because they knew it was a bad place to live. And, and, and it's not just out West. It's not just Las Vegas. We build multi-million dollar houses on barrier islands 
that simply exists to protect the coast from ravaging storms that destroy communities. And, and, you know, Mother Nature gave us a solution. We took the solution and decided that was the best real estate in the world. We pay a million dollars for a lot and we put a a $2 million home or $10 million home on it. And then you and I and all the rest of the American taxpayers, every time a hurricane goes rolling through there and destroys those homes, we pay to fix them. And, And by the way, I love the beach. So do not misunderstand my commentary. Uh, I, and I, I worked in a lot of those resort beachfront communities because that's where the Coast Guard is. But uh, yeah, anyway, so and, and by the way, you gave me a segue and, and I took it and stole it from you and, and perverted it. But, but it does bring me right back to I gave us back the segue in that Coast Guard, you know, military service. And so isn't that really kind of service of any kind? Isn't that kind of what we really wanted to talk about today? Well, it's it's going back to this idea of how do we, as as individuals and as a society, build a or leave a better future for the next generation. And I think there are two different ways we look at that. Again, as individuals, how do I contribute to the betterment of my children's life, my grandchildren's life, my my neighbor's kids, the people that have a personal connection to? And then how do we as a society take that same sentiment and move it forward to, you know, the next generation of our society. And, you know, there are all kinds that we could never in an hour break down the individual elements that, that go into that, but certainly everything from, uh, education, work and, and economic opportunity, uh, environmental health and, and safety, uh, drinking water as, as, as we're talking about here, food to eat, there are, I mean, every aspect of, of what goes into the quality of our lives is part of that. And there is a material measurement on, on the things that we need to take into consideration. But there's also the, the psychological aspect of understanding that importance and, and consideration and the choices we make or we have made for us. On, on how we should be contributing to the future of our society. And so that going back to everything from what we discussed a couple uh, episodes ago about your former student now being a teacher in her uh, childhood community because she felt obligated to give back to the community from which she came, which again, to be applauded. Um, to our uh, ourselves, I mean, you gave both as a career opportunity, but also, I think, to some understanding of service to your nation uh, the in, in military service, there are a lot of countries that actually require, um, I, I don't know if a lot maybe is too strong a word, but there are uh, many, many, many Western, many Western countries require yeah. <laughs> some period of, 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 of civic yeah. service, whether it's military or otherwise between I don't know, at high school and college ages, somewhere in there, a year, two years, whatever it is. I know Israel, actually, you, it's military service, period. Um, well, they don't, don't have much choice. Well, and that's <laughs> Regardless of how you feel about the issue, yeah. they don't have much choice. So, so as a citizen, you will serve for a period of time. Both genders, uh, let me rephrase that, all genders will be woke today. 
Oh, let's not. <laughs> write your letters, ladies and gentlemen. Both um, sexes. That's the safe one because there are two sexes and apparently in woke society, many genders. So we'll leave yes. it there. And we'll, we'll, we have a, an episode coming down the line about woke, but uh, that's not for today. Um, but regardless, all citizens uh, in good standing of Israel have to, is it one year, two years? What is, I think know? it's two years. I think it's two years. And, and, uh, and they then also, and, and it broaches on another topic that we're we're excited to get to in the future. They remain in the reserve and remain their their firearms stay with them, uh, and so they carry those home and put them away, and uh, and then are ready to protect their communities if if there is ever an invasion, which in Israel's a, a real threat. So uh, reg- again, regardless of how you feel about the politics of that region, so yeah. and, and I will remind you before you send your nasty letters, I'm the guy who said. In this podcast, if you picked a side, you pick wrong. So <laughs> anyway. that's true. So there are eleven countries that I just did a quick search that uh, require um, some form of military service. Isn't Japan on that list, or they used to be? Um, well, of course, the minute I clicked on it, then it went away. But uh, of of the top eight or so, we have Azerbaijan, which is uh, one to two years; uh, Belarus, six to twelve months. Um, for undergraduate school alumni, Benin, Cambodia, Cyprus, Egypt, Georgia, Kuwait. Interesting that all of these are often the uh, the east former former Soviet Germany. states. Yep. Yeah, former Soviet states. Um, Germany used to have Germany, it. I was going to say, yeah, didn't didn't Germany have it? I I think what has happened in the last ten years, and I haven't paid attention, and my ta- I was tapped into it very well because of my family connections. And of course, as as we've all gotten older, uh, my grandmother's passed away. Uh, my mom and my uncle don't speak often because they they were just never terribly close. There's no bad blood or anything. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, my uncle had mandatory service in Germany. He he got done with his high school, and he was a trade school guy. He didn't go to gymnasium, and uh, he had to do two years of military service as a requirement. Uh, and he my mother is half Bavarian, I think mm-hmm. a half or a, qu- a quarter. I mean, she may be a quarter Bavarian. And he thinking that Bavarians are the stereotype decided that he wanted to go be in the Bavarian part of the military. And, and of course realized that they truly do live the way you think they live. And he was never getting any sleep and just had a miserable time of it. But yes, uh, Germany until I think relatively recently we had a, a mandatory service requirement and they may have gotten rid of it since unification. And um, so, uh, yeah, compulsory military service for both genders, which I think is interesting. Um, Cape Verde, Chad, Eritrea, Israel, which, by the way, it says 32 months for men and two years for women. OK. Morocco, Norway, 19 months. Yeah, I knew uh, Norway had it. North Korea, <laughs> 10 no, years shocked. for men. Uh, upon high school completion to 23 years of age for women and Sweden uh, 11 months. And it says selective after that, uh, which I'm not sure exactly. Maybe you can choose which branch or something. I don't know what that means. By or selective. maybe you can choose to do something in alter as an alternative to military service. Now, interesting civilian unarmed and non-combatant service options. Uh, I won't read all of these, but Austria nine months civilian so that's connected to the German uh, tradition, I would imagine. Belarus, three years civilian. Cyprus, Denmark, Estonia, again, a lot of Eastern European. 
Finland, one year civilian, unarmed, nine months, uh, goes on Iran, Mexico. Um, I didn't ever heard that about Mexico. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Norway, Paraguay, Russia, Switzerland, and Sweden. I, there may be details to this that, uh, that are unclear in this list because I haven't heard that about Russia or some of these other places. Um, and then let's see, this is updated. It doesn't say on what, what this is. So uh, take that well, with a grain of salt, do your own research. But it's, it's interesting, going back to the point, I have often argued that, and, and you and I have had this conversation, and at one point we were on different sides of, of the idea, and then I'll, I'll, if you promise not to tell anyone, uh, you may have brought me over a little bit. Um, but I think there's something very valuable about the idea of having, with exceptions as appropriate, having some period of time where uh, young people uh, serve in some fashion doesn't have to be military, but some form of civic service that is contributing to, to the betterment of, of the country and society. And I think for a lot of people, and I, I, I put myself in this category, I think it would have been immensely valuable for me. You come out of high school and you don't know your, you know what, from a hole in the wall, right? right. Most of us. <laughs> I think there would be something very personally valuable about that experience in growing to understand, to, to have exposure to the needs and, and, and help of, of other people, to uh, contributing to your community, local and, and, and wider, and, and discovering a sense of purpose and self potentially within that would then make the college experience a more focused one if you choose to go that way, or the career pursuit experience a more focused one if you choose to go that way. But really having a, a, a more well-defined sense of self, if that makes sense. No, it makes it makes it makes a lot of sense. And you, and you and I have had civil discourse on this issue many times, uh, even when we were on opposite opposite sides of the issue. And, and the one thing we agreed on in those discussions is it's not just military service. It could be Teach for America. It could be the Peace Corps. It could be local community service. There are lots of ways. Uh, to, to uh, help society, um, and, and it doesn't always have to involve the military. Plus, the military is not for everyone. It, it is a sure. uh, it is it is a very regimented, disciplined uh, world, and has to be by virtue of what it does. And uh, of course, that's not for everyone. You know, there there are folks who who st- would would never thrive in an environment like that, much less even get by. And so uh, there have to be some, uh, I would think there would have to be some options. What we fundamentally disagreed on was should it be compulsory? And, and by the way, before we go into that, explain what you you meant when you said there should with some exceptions. What, what exceptions were you thinking of? Well, there are certain career paths um, that have to start very early in order to achieve. I mean, there are exceptions to everything. So again, I'm... I'm speaking in generalities, but I'll, uh, one good example, most concert pianists have started that training in the single digits of their lives, right? You know, they're, 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 they're starting off by four, five, and six. By nine and 10, they're already performing publicly. And I'm talking about the high achievers, of course. Um, and, and by the time you're getting out of high school, you are on a track, if you're seriously going forward, that you cannot interrupt. I mean, you're, are there exceptions? Sure. But 
for the most part, you are now fully engaged in a pursuit that must be continued with consistency. And I, I would I would argue that that is some uh, one of many different uh, career pursuits that you know really wouldn't be served by having a sudden uh, pull away. Um, right. And you know we could talk about that you know certain medical professions and so forth where you know really the the best thing for the individual might be to have a continuous uninterrupted development of their education and training. So that that wouldn't necessarily be the ideal uh, circumstance for an individual to then stop for one or two years and come back to it. Well, you know, well, there may be an alternative. On. There may be an alternative solution to that, and and and, and throwing out sports and uh, others as well. Uh, there was a time when the military had many bands. There was there was a time when uh, they had traveling athletic teams. There was a time when. Uh, there were all kinds of uh, entertainment type, and I'm not saying this is to, to be demeaning, but entertainment type units within the military existed to promote that kind of stuff, usually during wartime, but but they did exist. So uh, you could grant an exception to those folks, absolutely, uh, but you could also perhaps um, have it be a, a form of service. You know, you 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 play, I'm a concert pianist. I, I play in the inner city for, for school kids as part of my community service. Well, and, and it's true. A little creativity and, and thought could any, and, and this, this goes back to another issue that um, it's, it's been, it's been said that there are certain, there's a certain philosophy that when we come back to, <laughs> and I, I laugh cause I'm always reminded of uh, starship troopers. Um, but citizenship service leads to citizenship and if you ha- and in that movie the idea is if you haven't served in the the military then you cannot be a citizen and the rights that come with citizenship will not be granted to you you're just a civilian and so there is a separation in that uh, science fiction between a civilian and a citizen um and there are certainly plenty of people who feel that the the right to vote, the right to participate in society at certain levels should be a uh, a reward of sorts for having served the nation. And to some degree, I, that, that gets murky for me. Um, because I, I would also argue that I think service to one's country comes in many, many forms. Not just I actually took two years and did this thing. But I think if you're a teacher, you have served this country. Of course, um, of course. If you are any number of upstanding participants in society, it perf- it, you know, work people who work hard, who pay their taxes for this, you are a participant with blood in the game on the uh, with uh, as far as I'm concerned about the with investment in the direction of the nation and therefore should have a voice. Um and that's how I would interpret the uh the, the founding father's idea of every, you know, every person has a voice in government of the people. Um, I understand the sentiment that if you've sat on your hands and done nothing uh, to, to contribute to our society, then what voice should you have in the running of that society? Well, there's a conversation to be had there, I think. 
you and I posited this idea in our, our conversations around this topic because it is a topic you and I both care very deeply about. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm a, a Robert Heinlein fan who had a military background, so so no big shocker there. He's the guy who wrote Starship Troopers, the book, which is not like the movie, by the way. He also sure. wrote a wonderful book called The Moon is a Harsh Mistress. Uh, but uh, you know, so, so with his military background, I, I think he saw the the value of military service. Uh, he he was a Naval Academy graduate and and mm-hmm. uh, was really no joke. He graduated in 1929. Uh, and I just looked it up because I knew he'd gone to the Naval Academy. I didn't know the year. And, and so I think I think his, if you read the book, it's much less campy than than the uh, the movie was. Uh, and I don't think it's a terrible movie, by the way. Uh, but uh, no, it's but just, camp most assuredly. It, so. it is camp. It's fun. <laughs> um, what I find what I find interesting, of course, was that Heinlein was painted as an extreme liberal in his lifetime. And he laughed about this because he said, I'm a registered Republican and mostly libertarian. So (laughs) I've always found that interesting. But sometimes he was he was spinning issues up in his writing to get people's attention and have them think. And I, I think that's what he was trying to do with Starship Troopers was what constitutes citizenship. And his point, as I understand it, is you have to have some skin in the game. Uh, to participate in society as as a voter because he thought the vote was very precious. Uh, and, and I don't think he was arguing the only way to attain citizenship in reality was through uh, military service. So he may have been at one point in his life. I, I just think he felt you had to be invested in society. And I think your point that, you know, some people do nothing but take. Well, How are they I, invested? I'll, say, I'll say something that that's um, a lot of people on the right and probably a few on the left would take umbrage with, but I strongly feel this way. So if you disagree with me, write in, folks. Um, I That starts to go into a territory that I struggle with when we talk about patriotism. That word patriotism is a, is a what do we call it, a trigger word for me? I know. (laughs) Well, because people equate and not saying just you, but when oftentimes when we picture what a patriot looks like, we're really looking at a nationalist and those are different. Well, and and that that line gets blurred where to me it's not that blurry. Um, You know, going back to the skin in the game, sitting around on the back of a pickup truck with a flag and drinking beer and saying, contributing I'm proud to, to be an American and screw <laughs> yeah. the rest of the world. You know, and obviously I'm painting a stereotype there, but I, I, you know, I think people understand what I'm, the image I'm going for there. That is not patriotism, in my humble opinion. And, and this is where this idea of skin in the game, again, it doesn't mean you had to serve in, in military, had to be under combat. And, and certainly if you have, you, you've earned your stars. But I think there are many ways in which we as, as participating contributors to society have, and again, I, one of the first ones I put up there is teachers. I, I, I'll keep coming back to it because I think it's one of the, the greatest career uh, contributions that a person and sacrifices a person could make with their life, um, the, which doesn't get the lauding that it should, as I'll add. But uh you know, to just sit and talk about being proud to be an American, what does that mean? What have you do done with your time to contribute to this country in which 
to justify your pride. And I don't think just being born in a place gives you cause for for personal pride in 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 this sense of pride that I'm talking about. Um, it doesn't mean that you know you you necessarily should uh, hate the country either, but you know that's another extreme. But I think you have to actually have a contributing uh, nature to to your citizenship to then you know have a justified sense of pride and patriotism. And that then, of course, you know, is, is part of what we're talking about when we say having a voice. Oh, I, I, I know. I, and there's nothing I can argue with there. I mean, shocker of all shockers. We pretty much agree on that particular topic. I, I think, first off, we, we need to acknowledge some historical realities. Uh, home, uh, land ownership was a way for the elites to keep the common man from voting early in our, our nation's history. And while I understand the desire to have, say, people need to own land to vote, I, I dismiss that idea because it's it's exclusionary because the price of land has become so cost prohibitive in this nation and really always has been. Uh, and I, I always used to use the story of Davy Crockett, who's a real person, by the way, uh, for our listeners who don't know, as an example of this. He bought land in Tennessee twice and twice land speculators who'd many, many, many years before had purchased large swaths of land, including George Washington, by the way, little history lesson, who, who benefited from his, quote, public service, unquote, um, and, and was forced off land that he had cut out of the forest and developed uh, twice and ended up finally in Texas, eastern Texas, uh, where he subsequently died during um, the Texas War for Independence uh, prior to them becoming part of the United States. And so here's a guy who, who, by all accounts, including his service in the War of 1812, had contributed heavily to society, uh, who was a congressman, I believe, for two terms, if I remember mm-hmm. right, and then said D.C. was full of, of, of a bunch of uh, basically thieves and he wanted nothing more to do with them, uh, would have never been allowed to have the right to vote in many of the states that existed then because he couldn't own land. Uh, and so uh, I think to your point, that kind of a um, standard for voting is, is an interesting one. And I, I think oftentimes people say it with a lot of heartfelt conviction because property owners pay a lot of taxes. They just do. And you know that as a homeowner as well. Uh, and, and oftentimes they see their taxes voted in directions they don't particularly like by folks who don't own property. Uh, so so I get that, but I don't think it's the standard. So Coming back to service, I don't know that service should also, you know, I've used that argument with it when you and I discuss this, and and I often do it just to see how you, you know, how do we respond to these arguments? And and uh, there was a time when I would said, yeah, you you have to have punched a card to be a proper citizen of this country. Today, I backed away from that because I just don't think we should do as much as we do with government currently at the local, state, or or, or national level, and so. I, I think voting locally should be the most important thing we do. And, and of course, we're all invested in our local community, at, at whether, whether we're getting off our tails or not. So uh, I've kind of, you you know, while you ceded a little to me on this discussion, there's a part I've ceded to you as well. And, and that is, uh, if we would make the local government the most powerful, then voting would be imperative for everyone in a community, right? So it's, it's, 
it's well, it's, and there are countries that uh, I think Australia is the first one that comes to mind that uh, voting is obligatory, uh, punishable by a fine if you don't. Uh, well, do, and I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the solution either. Well, they hold it as a as a duty to 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 voice, and um, you know this this is this would be a really controversial issue over here. Um, well, because I, not voting sometimes is a conscious choice on the part of some people. And uh, there, there are people who are very politically astute, who are very involved in, in issues and are aware of what's going on. And uh, they do not vote because they don't believe in voting and can tell you why. Now, there are a lot more people, probably 5,000 for every one of those people I just described, who don't vote because they just don't give a rip. And so it's, it's, well, and, and it's an interesting thing because there are times more often than not, frankly, where I go into the voting booth and I don't like any of the options I see. Um, I've heard the speeches, I've read the platforms and none of the above would be the best choice in my mind, but none of the above wasn't an option. And, you know, that is a real challenge sometimes in a lot of elections, you know, you're choosing the, the, the better of two bad options. Um, and that's a problem. That's but, a future episode too, because we, we're going to need to talk about voting at some point. Um, <laughs> so let's not go too far down this rabbit hole. No, but, but, but again, this, this, the, the idea of civic duty and participation and service and all of these on a, on a larger cultural level, I think play into each other. You know, when you've, as you say, put skin in the game, there, you you have a real sense of investment in the future and direction of that skin that you've put in, absolutely. And and to not participate, whether it's as a voter, as a as a volunteer, as a teacher, as a, whatever it is that you do to move society forward, is contrary to those sacrifices that that people have made. And, you know, that's just talking about the politosphere of, of, of this dialogue. But the other, going back to what we started the show with, you know, another aspect of, again, the betterment of our society for future generations. We, we touched on it at the end of a previous episode that, and I think, again, speaking in general, most people want to make the world a better place for their progeny and for the, those who come after the discord comes in. What do we consider to be a better place? And there are some basic tenants that we think, you know, how can, of course people want clean drinking water and, and healthy food to eat and, and shelter and a place to live and a good job. But I don't know that that everybody really does see all these things as as foundational uh, elements of a better improvement. Uh, some people don't see there is a problem there. Some people don't uh, see that it's a problem that we have any influence over or are a contributing factor to and, and whatnot. You hear this in environmental arguments all the time, but it's not just in environmental aspects. So again, how do we square some of these issues as a society without just throwing up our hands? Well, I, I think uh, that some of those are other discussions. I think there are some common 
core things so that we can agree on. Um, I think if you, you talk to most Americans, they may or may not agree with our foreign policy, and yours truly certainly does not agree, agree with our foreign policy. But they see a role for a military of some sort in this country. It may not be a standing army like we have now, uh, but but there's some role for national defense. And I think most Americans would agree on that. Most Americans would probably agree that while the current school system, they may not think the current school system is the right way to teach our children and, and they feel it's failing miserably, uh, they do see there should be some path to educational betterment for all children. And, and so they would probably agree with that. I think, you know, we can we can uh, pull the, the the telescope out a bit Get and probably get to a big picture that most Americans would agree on. Now, they're always contrarians. They're no matter what you say, they're going to say, You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Well, what if we did this? You're wrong, you're wrong. And, and you can beat your head against the wall all day, and all you're going to get is a headache. You're not going to change those people's opinions. And, and so you just move on. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at what does the middle uh, group think on, on these things? Um, how, how can we serve our societies as a whole? You know, there are going to be people who think that, um, I, I'm trying to think of something just absolutely ridiculous, that the guy who sits in his mom's basement and plays video games all day is contributing to society. And they're going to be able to articulate some way that he or she is, is contributing to society in, in some positive way. And I think most of the people in the middle, 66%, would say, no. Not really. <laughs> so, uh, and, and on the other extreme, uh, there are going to be folks who think that uh, a teacher does nothing. That a um, yeah, they um, have half a year off. I mean, they're yeah, they, they they only work nine months a year and six hours a day. Both of those are lies, by the way, folks. And I'm probably <laughs> on the right of, on the right of most of you in in this in some ways. So anyway. Uh, you know, and, and so there are those folks too. And again, I think we need to look at what the, what does the middle majority say. And so, uh, but I, I would like to. We're we're about two thirds of the way through. I would like to explore the issue that you and I disagreed on for a long time. I've I've already fessed up to my half. I, I'd like you to fess up to your half that we disagreed about. Um. Well, this this idea of compulsory uh, civic or social service. Um, at a certain period of age and development. I, I don't mind the idea uh, intrinsically of, of it being something that's sort of compulsory with exceptions. Um, but I, or at least I didn't, well, we'll call it that, uh, your, your argument, which I also couldn't really agree, disagree with was that if, uh, if it is an option that you can choose, then certain benefits can come with it. Right. Um, and, and for some, maybe one of those benefits would be the right to vote. Um, I, I removed I, that option. I removed that option from the table uh, when we had this, because again, I have to say you and I've had this discussion 50 times, maybe it's, it's something that you and I are both very passionate about. And so you've kind of talked me off the, the, of the right to vote thing. What we could do as a society, though, uh, as an as an, a compromise between those two positions is perhaps the right to vote before you're 25 comes with that or something like that. Uh, just just thinking aloud. 
Well, I, I mean, if we really want to get people to sign on, you get to have a drink at 18 if you uh, do the service. If, if you're in, if you're, and, and by the way, there's an interesting point. In the state of Florida, before the federal government passed a National 21 law, um, if you had a military ID, the drinking age was 19. You know, this, this, this whole subject of the drinking age is, and, and you know, there are so many different rabbit holes to fall into on, on this whole episode, but um, it has bothered the hell out of me, uh, th- this idea that the, the government reserves the right to, to reestablish the draft, right? Right. Um, and even if we don't want to go that far and just say that at 18, I signed up. So I am adult enough to make a decision about my life and what I'm going to do with it that could lead in sacrifice to my death. I can make that choice as a sentient adult and a legal adult by almost every definition at the age of 18, with the exception of uh, having a drink. Or smoking a cigarette in some states. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and by the it's way, I find it's purchasing, isn't it? I think it is purchasing. Yeah, I find that infuriating. Uh, but we, we don't want to fall down this rabbit hole because I'll I'll take us there for the next uh, fifteen minutes, and, and I really want to talk about this. But the fact of the matter is, either you're an adult or you're not an adult, and 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 I, it's worth my saying the caveat that I understand when you run the numbers, the percentage of terrible accidents, fatal or crippling, that happened with respect to drive, drinking and driving and other alcohol-related issues between 18 and 21 is much, much higher. So this was an effort. We'll, we'll give the benefit of the doubt this was an effort to try and save lives and mitigate uh, death and pain in our I, society. I, okay, I'll, I'll say that. I'll, I'll give you that. The thing, though, is... But, but in reality, I still yeah. think it's an issue. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> If a young person can go principle. into if a young person can go into combat with an assault rifle on his or her back, a pistol on his or her hip, and, and die fighting yeah. for whatever we're they fighting for, they should be able to have a drink and a smoke with that drink and, and enjoy them both without fear of being arrested. And, and yes. I find that infuriating that they they're not. But but. Setting that argument aside for another day, because it's going to be a great episode, folks, and you'll want to keep listening to us because we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. I, I do had I had a problem with it being anything being compulsory in that uh, I don't believe in involuntary servitude. And, and I don't think that 16 wolves and one sheep get to make a decision for the sheep. I, I think the sheep gets to decide for him or herself whether she's going to be dinner tonight. And so uh, I, 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 and and this is where my libertarianism comes screaming forth. So what I offered in our last discussion on this, uh, by the way, on a beautiful evening coming back from New York City, if I remember correctly, is that... Um, Were we holding hands and skipping through? Oh, the- and, and singing Kumbaya, <laughs> however Kumbaya, Kumbaya goes. Uh, no, I, I think our wives were in the car, so we couldn't do that. I'm playing. Yes. I'm playing. Folks, please don't. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) So, no, what what I said was, why not do what many of these European nations did or are doing? And at the end of my two years, now I have full benefits to go to college. And, and, you know, I had made the point at the time that many of the the folks who say, well, college is paid for in 
X, Y, and Z country. Why can't it be paid for here? Because they have compulsory service. Uh, in Norway, there's compulsory service, as you, you mentioned earlier. And uh, my friend Froda, who's from Norway, Stavanger, to be perfectly, uh, be incredibly accurate, uh, he did his two years and then went to university and four years later came out with a degree in uh, some kind of computer technology. And so, uh, yes, his, his, his university time was paid for by his service. Well, it, so I think there's another element there when we're talking about European nations, at least. The, so, yes, that is a, a reward offered to those who have given contribution and sacrifice. And, well, you and added some others so, to it, though. You well, added some and, others and to I, it. And I think that's a fine option. Now, to some degree, uh, you know, we have the GI Bill and some other aspects that do offer, um, you know, some form of, of additional ongoing uh, compensation to those who, who have served. Pause, we pause also, for a moment, this, though. Pause yeah. for a moment on the GI Bill specifically. And I, I want to address that. And, and here's something that I think a lot of Americans are not aware of, and uh, it's optional. The member, meaning the recruit, opts in or opts out, and you have to opt in. Of the GI in. Bill? Yes, you have to opt in. So what we're asking 17-year-olds to do is to make a life choice on whether they're ever going to go to college or not. And many 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds who are joining the military are joining the military because they don't think they're ever going to want to go to college. So and so, yeah. yes. And once you say, no, I don't want it, you don't get it. And mm. I, I get that it's a very expensive program, and I understand a lot of taxpayer dollars get wrapped up in it. But I don't think that... Well, if they're not allowed to buy booze and they're not allowed to buy cigarettes, they certainly should not be making choices about whether they can go to college or not. Well, so. major future choices beyond the fact that I'm signing up for a service right, that could, right. Uh, take my life. But the the thing that, that I wanted to say, and first of all, thank you, because I, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Um, so you if you serve for a decade and then get out, you don't and you didn't sign that piece of paper. Right. The GI Bill is not available to you. Right. Interesting. Um, and by the way, not okay. <laughs> Agreed, because a 17-year-old Mike had no clue what 37-year-old Mike was going to need in life. Not well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so. and, 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 and again, I, I want to come back to the, the whole European model, but I, I will say, just to be on record about this, in my humble opinion, and just let's be clear, I'm right, uh, if you have put yourself on the line for the benefit, uh, your life literally on the line for the uh, benefit and longevity of our nation. As far as I'm concerned, any schooling and training you desire for the rest of your days is available to you. All health and mental wellness is available to you. Uh, I mean, the, there's just any other assistances that are appropriate, but I mean, they, you should never see a medical bill for the rest of your days, as far as I'm concerned. And whatever the tax burden is, uh, is the least thank you we as a society could offer. But speaking of taxes, when you mentioned, what was it Finland you said? Norway. Norway. Um, Norway. Uh, yes, the, the service that you have given is, uh, 
you're being compensated to some degree for that by being offered uh, free college tuition if you go forward and so forth. But the tax rate in these European countries is also exceedingly higher than ours. Apparently, and I'm using the word apparently, because the U.S. has a really tricky tax system and, and in that we hide and... and, and uh, well, we have options that that if you are privy to those options, you can do all kinds of different interesting things. Well, not only that, but on the opposite side, we hide lots of taxes inside of things. So there's a tax that was passed in like 1898 on telephones when only rich people have telephones that exists to this day. And that tax was enacted to, to pay for the Spanish-American War. That There are all kinds of taxes that we hide in things that, that are don't ex- that we don't know are there. And consequently, while it appears that uh, Scandinavian countries are uh, highly taxed, and they are, I'm not arguing that they aren't. Well, to the degree of, uh, forget about if you're a multimillionaire or not, your average citizen. So my wife lived in Paris right out of college and worked uh, for a tech company. And she was making, you know, what we would call barely over minimum wage for the time. You know, she, she was living very humbly. And even at that, she was being taxed almost at 50%. Yeah. And, but they're honest about their taxes. They're they're very upfront about it. However, they see the bill. One of the contentions, and this is probably another episode, but it's just worth saying. One of the contentions is that for that, for that very high tax bill that, that, that is going out, there are a lot of material benefits that you can, as a citizen at least, I don't know if she would have been able to, and that's another touchy area, but as a citizen of France, for example, uh, university, top-level, Harvard-level university uh, over there is still $800 a year. It's it's significantly less uh, to, to do these individual things that we have made almost completely unaffordable over here. And certainly if your, your point is, is true that we're paying as much taxes as they are in various hidden ways, well, then we shouldn't be coming out of college. Well, but there, there's one reason why we are, there's one reason why we are. And, And what don't Sweden, Finland, Denmark, Norway, et cetera, et cetera, and pay for. They don't pay for the defense military industrial complex that we have here in the United States. And here, here's, and I know I don't want to make it about this, so, so stop me here in a moment. If you total the next nine countries on the list for defense spending, they do not equal what the U.S. spends. I think it's more than nine. Well, I, I know for sure. I know nine, it switches so, a little bit. <laughs> it, it, last time I, I looked at the numbers, it was 19, but I shut it down to nine just to make sure I didn't completely blow out the uh, the number and get it completely wrong. But it, it's significant number of nations that if you total their defense bill, including China, folks, and, and you look at what they're spending of their GDP on defense, yeah. the U.S. spends more combined. And that does not even count the hidden defense spending that we put in other budget appropriations for the Department of Agriculture, no the Nuclear There's, Regulatory Commission, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. There's so, no question. And and I assume you you are expressing a disagreement with that arrangement. Uh, yeah. And, and if you've been listening to this podcast, it's no big shock to you. But you yeah, are I think, a tree-hugging, <laughs> loose-lipped liberal, baby. <laughs> well, you almost had it right. Tree-hugging, loose-lipped libertarian, which is sometimes well, close to, very close to liberals, sometimes. 
So depends on the topic. I, I am a crunchy libertarian. <laughs> I am a crunchy libertarian, and proudly so. Uh, and, and the honest truth is that if we got rid of this huge military-industrial complex that we have, if we stop trying to be the policemen of the world, well, if we right, would, right there, that was the key right there, and that's a whole nother episode. It uh, is, <laughs> but but the, all of those other countries, who by the way are you know not even a tenth our size, uh, are not trying to run the world, right. and 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 make it in their image as as we so often find ourselves doing, and that's there's a lot of debate that that we should get into on that though not on this episode, but you uh, you look at um, uh, Switzerland. You know, is is I understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but every citizen of Switzerland is a obligatory member of, or is it just the men? I forget how. I think it's just the men. I think it's just Uh, the men, but they're they're part of of the militia. Yeah, and they are. (laughs) But but is there not a a mandatory training period? Oh, there is, and everybody takes their firearm and and goes to training. Uh, It's very much the way it used to be here in this country until the early 1900s, where local communities. trained regularly and uh, we're going to make this another episode too uh, and, and so yes they must maintain their weapons qualifications and in their homes we're not talking hunting rifles folks we're talking proper proper implements of war and it's worth just uh you know if we want to talk about the efficacy of this uh system there was one country that uh, hitler did not invade and could have easily i, but, I mean but he there was a reason about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was the same issue that that uh, supposedly one of the Japanese generals had said it, it may or may not have happened. Where behind every every blade of grass, there's going to be an American with a rifle. Well, with the Swiss behind every tree in the Alps, there was going to be a Swiss. But here's the key, uh, and again, this is this is for a different episode that that we have coming. But it's worth saying, by definition, the way you just defined the Swiss system. It, that is called a well-regulated militia. Well, and, regulated is an interesting word too, and we're going to save that for that episode. But but you, as is, you said, you have to be certified. You have to be recertified. There's a certain degree of mm-hmm. of, of training and ongoing uh, expectation of responsibility for this. And and as a result, for the most part, I'm sure there are exceptions we don't know about. Um, you know, that there is a certain level of responsibility that, that the citizens of Switzerland, again, not even a tenth of our size of a nation, um, you know, go forward in their civic duty and responsibility with. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think these are models that are worth ex- learning from. It, it, and, and have been relatively peaceful for a very long time. At least yeah. the history of our country, they've been very peaceful. Real quick story about Switzerland, just because we've been very heavy this episode. Uh, I, I was got on a, a, a tiff where I was researching Liechtenstein, which has a shared border with uh, Switzerland. Liechtenstein does not have any military at all, not even a militia. They have about 120 police officers. And for those who don't know, it's a very small city state. Mm-hmm. It would be in the bottom 10 as far as land mass in, in, in the world. Uh, and so they are a uh, monarchical republic. They have a prince who who is the head of state. He does take an active role in their government and can veto legislation from 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 their version of parliament. But they're they're very benign as far as government intrusion in lives and, and incredibly financially wealthy as, as a as a nation. 
And so Switzerland was out doing maneuvers uh, with one of their little military units and realized that they had gotten two miles inside they the border, the of, border. Liechtenstein, yeah. of Liechtenstein. Yeah. And so the Swiss defense minister contacted uh, one of the government officials in Liechtenstein and said, many apologies. We apparently invaded your country and did not mean to. And when the GPS showed us where we were, we left. And the response from the minister was, oh, these things happen. Don't worry about it. And, and when I read the article, I about fell out of my chair because I would, if only, if only our leaders were just that casual about things like that. Well, and, and, and not using things as an opportunity to you know, right. gain in some fashion for politically or otherwise. Right. Um, so I think I've told you that story or I just pointed. No, I remember reading that myself. I remember. Yeah. That. Our point or yeah. But yeah, I love that story. And, and I think it goes to the notion that public service does require, it does result in the end with a sense of security that I'm not sure we have as an American people. No, I think that we take, or too many of us take our sense of, of security, quote unquote, from the latest Hollywood movie we've seen of it. Um, and, and that's what, you know, it should look like. That's what duty and service should look like. That's what patriotism should look like and so forth. And it's, it's a problem, you know, and, and, you know, again, not to make this episode about education, but it's worth thinking about how do we in our homes and in our schools and in our, so how do we frame a sense of civic responsibility and and national duty and global duty as, as a citizen of the world in many ways. Because, you know, if Canada's, Canada's water flows south and ours, so if they don't get <laughs> a hot damn about what they're doing up there, what are we drinking? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's... We can't only, and this is, this is something that, that, you know, we we have to think about. We can't only be interested in local politics. Because we are not that separated anymore. That's just not the reality of our world. So we have to be fundamentally interested in our local communities, but we have to understand how we are affecting other communities and others are affecting us on, on you know, the regional and national and international level. And, you know, those, when, when, when Japan had that huge... A nuclear disaster uh, because of the Fukushima, tsunami. Right. Yep. Uh, Washington State had radiated water. That 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 ocean water current brought that level of radiation. Now I don't think it was anything that turned out to be severe, but it was a measurable effect on elements on the other side of the ocean. Something a hundred years ago we never would have thought about. And we'll we'll talk about nuclear power in, in the future because I have some really strong opinions on that as well. And, and uh shocker Ooh. there, right? <laughs> but, but, Ooh. but, uh, no, I, I think very liberal. <laughs> uh, they're probably neither. They're probably neither. So, uh, yeah, I, I think though we want to go ahead and start to wrap this up. We're a little over an hour right now. And I, I do think that there should be some opportunity to give back with benefits, future benefits to our society. And, and it can certainly be voluntary and even the benefits could be funded in some interesting ways. Uh, and, and we can talk about that in a future episode. But I, I often hear we come up with these great ideas and people say, well, how are we going to pay for that? I'll give you one answer to that. How about a national lottery? Just an idea. Just saying. 
if if the the whatever number of states that get together uh, to do the Powerball and and whatever the heck the other one's called, I don't play either of them. If, if they can get one point whatever billion dollar payouts, imagine what a national lottery could get. Well, and, so look at look at it this way. Think of the things that we are willing to put a, to give away billions towards. Oh, amen. certainly hundreds of millions, but in some cases billions. Uh, think of you know everything from like you say the lottery. You know it's that that game of chance. It, the numbers are staggering. What the big games are are uh, getting to that people are happy to give their their percentage towards that. Um, think of. And and it should be said that when you win a uh, hundred million dollars, you ain't uh, getting it. <laughs> it's like fifty million, maybe. Now I'll take that fifty million, but half of that is taxed as a, a gift or a win. I forget how they term it. Um, so it's not all just going away, and supposedly that tax is going towards something. Um, supposedly, but I mean, think of the the multiple hundreds of millions and billions of dollars we put into athletics and other forms of entertainment. Um, not that they, I devalue uh, the substance of, of sports and, and entertainment, but are those numbers commensurate with, with the societal uh, payback? Something to look at. I would argue that our election system is the biggest scam that we got going. We did How an episode you, about that. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think of the money, what was it? The... Uh, the, the congressional, the, the midterm. How we're many spending hundreds of millions to get elected? Hundreds I think we're pushing the big B almost in an election. I was thinking of single candidates. Well, single certainly candidates. single candidates, but let's just talk about it as a whole. The amount of money we spend to change a Congress that isn't going to change anything in our in our daily lives significantly. Um, you know, yeah, we pass a little law here and there, but for the most part. It's a toggle back and forth that really doesn't contribute all that much that we spend billions over periods of time as a society on. What if we took that money and actually did something with it? Amen. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's funny. Pick, pick your least favorite politician and I'll pick my least favorite politician. And, and let's assume they're on opposite, side, opposite sides of the issues just for the sake of this discussion. And they've both been in Congress a long time. A long yeah. time. Whether you're talking, uh, pick someone from the right uh, who's been there forever. Um, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, or you're talking Nancy Pelosi. Both of them, have, I think, 30, 40 years they've been sitting in that that body. Uh, it, it, there, there's something. That's what the founding fathers wanted. Yeah, and, and incumbency and it, has its privileges, including getting reelected. So yeah. it, it, it's a crazy system. No, I but don't disagree with you. We have to ask in, in some of these things, and again, different episode, but, uh, you know, were the founding fathers right about all things? We know they weren't, but they weren't wrong about all things either. No, so, so maybe <laughs> those, some, some questions and, and reexaminations need to happen. But that's so, a slippery slope too. So we'll get back to that on a, on a different day. Here, here's my proposal, and, and please feel free to amend it as my closing argument here. I think you cut the national defense spending significantly, and I'm not talking half. I, I'm talking 20 or 30%. Take half of that money that you saved and roll it into your public service initiative. Trust me, it'll be plenty. And 
uh, because defense spending, by the way, is I think on the book, 64% of the American budget, 65% of the American budget. Don't forget that a a huge percentage of that defense spending is going to private contractors, Yes, whether it's in the manufacturing or in the execution. Including the company I work for. So So we have have turned one of, and I, I said it in a previous episode, education, healthcare, military, and there's probably another one that should be in there, politics in general should not be a for-profit industry, in my humble opinion. We can talk about that later. The one thing, though, is if we did what I said, or we are what we're suggesting as, as, a, as a pair of podcasters who just on the internet, two guys on the internet, if we did that, we would not only have people going to the military who would get some benefit on the other side and would serve their country, would be going to Teach for America and get some benefit on this other side serving their communities. Uh, and the Peace Corps. There are a million ways we could do All this. All the different service offers. Yes, yeah. yes. We would not only have that, we would probably have a better military that wouldn't be out there like they are right now screaming for recruits because there's nobody coming. And so it would Should be Should we change huge. the age cutoffs of, uh, of military? Um, That's another episode because I have some strong opinions about that too, believe it or not. I, there, there's I some am issues. no longer of any value. Yeah, I don't get that, but we'll, we'll talk about that in another episode. So amend as you Apparently see fit. My, 20, my 2010 vision does not qualify me to be able to see. Uh, yeah, and you would love to be a pilot, and I'm not being funny. I know that. So uh, no, amend, amend as you see fit as your closing statement, please. No, I, I think it's true. I, I was actually going to only slightly joke to say the other industry we could take 50% of the profits from and probably feed the world is uh, the porn industry. <laughs> I think if we connect the military spending with pornography and the uh, the the po- political body politic, uh, we probably have covered all our bases. I, I just heard you say the same thing twice. Politics, porn, they, they sound awful close to me. Uh, by the way, I think the military, unfortunately, is probably one of the biggest consumers of that industry. So it would be only appropriate. And and let me let me not get started on the porn industry. By the way, I Teach think- for America, the concept of Teach for America, which I love. Uh, how about we start a new uh, service called Build for America? Amen. And and all of these infrastructural things, not dissimilar to some of the uh, work acts uh, that happened in the uh, Depression era. But what if part of one of your services was a, an organized element that went forward and bridges, dams, roads, everything um, – this was this was something where young people are literally getting their hands dirty, uh, contributing to the structural embetterment of our society. And, and my libertarian friends, before you think I'm a sellout, I think it's a great idea, and we can probably get private industry to fund it because they're screaming for people in the trades right now. They're screaming for people in the trade. But that's another episode. <laughs> that's another episode. Skills, but yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so obviously we keep coming up with new episodes by the uh, minute here. So uh, we should. Well, probably- and I knew this episode would prompt lots of spinoffs. So, you know, listen, I, 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 this has been a great conversation. It's one we've had many times. We're going to probably keep having this one because it's, it's a passion for both of us. But I, I want to thank you once again for, for bringing this one to the table. Uh, we talked about doing this back on, uh, Christmas time. And I think that it's going to be, uh, I, hopefully it, it's, it's as good for the folks who took the time to listen, whom I want to thank, but, but I have some questions. First off, how can people tell us how wrong we are? 
Well, I can't imagine who that might be, but if you're out there, uh, we certainly welcome hearing from you. Just uh, go to your computer, device, handheld or otherwise, and uh, go to civildiscoursetnss at gmail.com. That's civildiscoursetnss for this is not a safe space at gmail.com. And tell us what you think should be the appropriate attitude and execution of paying it forward as a as a citizen of this country so we have a we have a couple people and and don't do what that person just did where they ping me in the middle of a podcast but but we have uh some folks we also like to thank and and i i i know that there's the great parker mcnerney but but who else do we need to thank well uh, certainly uh parker uh who has uh been wonderful at uh, stepping in and, and becoming a valuable part of our team here um, and has a podcast of his own. It's, uh, it's called, wait, wait a minute. What was it again? The, um, uh, uh, the, 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 the device in the DeLorean, uh, the, the Flix capacitor, the Flix capacitor. I got to write that down somewhere. It keeps, I, I have to work. My I, way I, I kept thinking gonculator and I knew it wasn't that. <laughs> there are a couple <laughs> old guys who can't remember anything. Um, but yeah, go to Flix Capacitor. It's a great film review uh, podcast, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And I hear that we might be doing a guest spot. Oh, that'd be on, awesome on 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 that uh, that uh, podcast. So check that out, Flix Capacitor. Uh, and and again, Parker McNerney who has been helping us out with some of our engineering and our. Uh, dedicated long-term from the very beginning uh, engineer and uh, editor uh, Keith Zadroyovi, who uh, I think is going to be helping us out on this episode, actually. So we're we're grateful for him and uh, Sacred Heart University that uh, continues to support our longevity here at Civil Discourse. The Lazarus Trio, Carl Groves, and uh, the good Dr. Mike Koeniger, um, if you haven't checked this out, uh, there's a, a wonderful uh, CD. Tell them about it. Uh, they oh, it's, it's called yeah. Open Letters. It was um, released a few years ago now. We're, we're working on number two, but we're both running into lots of personal stuff is, is the operative word. Uh, so, uh, but we, we're supposed to be writing sometime in the next year. Uh, but please go to bandcamp.com, look for the Lazarus Trio, and you can download it from there uh, for a very modest price. I think it's eight bucks or something like that. Or I can send you a physical copy. I'd love to get them out of the house uh, and be very <laughs> appreciative of that. I, I, I told uh, we were recently moving the young man from one room to another in this house, and that's where I'd hidden all my CDs was in the, the room he was going into. And I told my my beloved wife, I said, you know, every time I pull that box out, I see my failure. And she said, no, what you were was 10 years late. People bought CDs 10 years before. So please uh, come, come, come to Bandcamp and, and throw, uh, get rid of some of those CDs for me. Appreciate the opportunity. By the way, I appreciate you. And, and I, be, I also appreciate Parker and Keith. Uh, so it, it's, it's wonderful. I will be on the road next week. So I don't know when we're recording again. Uh, I am sure that whenever it is, uh, that's when it will happen. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, to you, our listeners, uh, we would not be here if it weren't for you. So we thank you for your dedication. Please go to wherever it is you get your podcasts, press that like button, write a review. It'd be wonderful to uh, five hear stars, your please. Five stars, <laughs> please. Six stars if you can. I mean, why not? Go for it. Yeah. Give us um, a bonus star. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, and tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dogs, whatever it is. Uh, we we really appreciate your listening, and to you, my illustrious co-host, Mr. Koniger, thank you. Thank you.